Good morning. Hey, what a, what a beautiful day we've had today. This is my third time to do this. I get one more. You know, it's, it's, it's great to be able to stand up uh, multiple times. I'd stay all day if the room was full of people. Just the news I get to share this morning is such a word of hope to me and, and to you. And my prayer is each weekend when I get up to preach this weekend, like every weekend, is that there's just something that God is going to put in my heart that's going to touch you. I don't know what's going on in your life this morning, but I know that if you'll open your heart and your mind, that God will find a way to speak some words of hope and encouragement. And I just pray this morning that you, you would just open up your heart and receive what I'm about to read and what I'm about to share with a spirit of expectation, with a spirit of hope. I look around and I see some new faces today. Some of you have been invited. I look around and my next door neighbor's here. That's wonderful. He and his wife. And it's great to see you here. We're, we're glad you chose to worship with us this morning. And uh, I, I would like to invite you to come back for the series. We're beginning a new series today called Return to Love. And we hope you'll come and be a part of it for the next month. And we have a Sunday evening service at 532, not tonight. Uh, but beginning back next week, and it's a great service if you're looking for kind of an informal thing. Come straight from the ball field, come straight here, come in from out of town, come here, small, intimate. I like it because it's about 30 or 40 people, and uh, it's kind of fun to have that ability to kind of communicate and do something very conversational with you. You ready for the gospel? Some of you are ready. Are you ready for the gospel? Let's stand. Chapter 20, verse 1 of John's Gospel, John tells us that it was early on the first day of the week and that Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb early that morning while it was still really dark. And when she got there, she discovered that someone had come along and had removed the stone from the entrance. Not knowing what to do, she just went running to Simon Peter and to John, the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and, and we don't know where they put him. What could they have done? So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. It was a, it was a foot race. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first, and he bent over, and he looked in and saw strips, the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying still in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and he believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary, who got there early, was the first one there, she stood outside the tomb and she was crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they asked her, they said, Mary, Mary, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who, who are you looking for? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go to him. And then Jesus said to her, Jesus looked at her in that moment of darkness. He looked at her in that moment of loss, that moment of fear, confusion. Her heart was broken. He looked at her and he said her name. Mary. If you'll just open your ears and open your heart this morning. He wants to say your name. He wants to meet you where you are this morning and say your name. This is the reading of God's word and all God's people did say. Everybody, everybody wants to feel love in their life. You know, love is, is the reason why we're here. We were born to love. We were made for love. And there's nothing better than to feel love and to be able to give love. It's the reason for life. But you know, sometimes it's hard to just keep loving. Sometimes, even though we don't want to, it's just really easy, isn't it, just to give up on love. That's just what happens in life. Sometimes we find it difficult to love ourselves because we've let ourselves down, we've let, we've let other people down, and we don't think we're made for love or that we are lovable anymore. And then sometimes we've loved someone and they haven't loved us in return or, or they disappointed us or they, they've hurt us and we just don't want to get hurt again. I bet everybody in this room has felt the pain of broken love. I don't know how you can go through life without feeling that, without having your heart broken in some way. And you know when that happens in life, it is a challenge just to keep on loving. It's, it's really easy to just withdraw and to hide and to really just sort of put a big stone in front of our heart and says, I'm not going to let anyone in. And I'm not going to let any love out. Uh, this series was inspired by a friend of mine. Um, he was really in love. And he thought that the, the relationship was going to lead to marriage. And she was the love of his life. And they were planning for a life together. And then one day, the relationship just ended. Some of it was her, some of it was him. 
and there was really no one to blame. It just, it just, it just sort of died. You know what happens sometimes? Have you ever had that happen where you have a strong friendship or some kind of relationship? It happens in marriages all the time. One day people just wake up, they don't know how it happened. Just over time, love just kind of faded and it wasn't there anymore and people were just kind of going through the routines. That's what happened to them and they realized as hard as we try, we can't recover what was never meant to be. And so when his heart was broken, something just kind of broke inside of him. And I remember telling him, when are you going to love again? When are you going to let yourself feel again? Because what he's done is he's really sort of withdrawn from the world. He's a really charismatic and fun person. But the last year he's, you know, he's found work to be difficult. Everything has been an effort. He's been depressed a lot and just kind of sad a lot. Not real, real sad, but never really high. And so I looked at him and I said to him, so when are you going to return to love? When are you going to return to love and to love again? And he said what a lot of people feel, I think. I think people in this room feel this. I can't love again. Because love doesn't last. Now, now I realize that there are a lot of people in this room that this message may not connect with this morning. There are a lot of people that life seems to be pretty good for you at the moment. Things are going well. Kids are doing great. And, you know, you got a bumper sticker in your car that said, my kid's an honor student. Everything's just terrific. But I want to speak this morning to those of you who don't feel so good this morning. Who maybe have given up on love and who walked in here on this Easter pretty discouraged, pretty beat up, pretty blue, pretty sad. And I just want to acknowledge that it took a lot of courage for you to be here this morning. Probably nobody noticed, but you had a hard time getting here this morning because you have been hurt. And you know the problem with Easter, Easter is a hard time to go to church, not because it's crowded and because everything's just always so good on Easter, you know. We try really hard to make it a perfect surface. I mean, we wash the windows and everything, you know. And uh, you don't get the quartet every Sunday. And gosh, we don't get Ashley up from Nashville to sing for us. You know, she was Miss Tennessee, you know. And uh, we had Miss Tennessee come up and sing on, you know, Easter. And so it's just kind of perfect. And you walk in, and if you don't feel perfect, well, you know how you felt. <clears throat> just kind of made you feel worse. You look around and you think, hey, they got it together and I don't. I'm the only one. Well, I want to share with you that the first Easter was far from perfect. Did you know that? I mean, the first Easter wasn't like this Easter really at all. The first Easter took place in a cemetery. The first Easter took place with fear and confusion. The first Easter, nobody was together. Everybody was apart. Everybody was going different directions. Their first Easter was filled with the darkness of, it's a metaphor, the darkness for shame and for guilt and fear and anxiety. That was the first Easter. We sometimes forget, you know, how Easter took place. They took Jesus, Son of God, and they crucified him. Uh, you know, not in a beautiful building like this, but they crucified him in a trash heap out in the city dump. Then they buried him in a graveyard. I've been to the, I've been to the cemetery where they killed him, and I've been to the 
graveyard where they buried him. Today it's, a, it's like a Route 66 tourist stop. You can get a snow cone and then go see where Jesus raised from the dead. You know, they got little tour guides with pit helmets and manicured lawns. But back then, no. When Mary and Peter and John went there, they could still hear the cries coming over the hill where he was crucified from the men that were still hanging on the cross. And they could smell the rotting flesh of the bodies dumped there in the dump. So that's who I'm talking to this morning, those who feel less than perfect, who came in this morning not feeling so good. And I want to give you a word of encouragement. I know that you have given up on love and you feel like you can't love anymore, but let me encourage you by telling the story of what happened to Peter, James, and John. But I got I to begin by telling you, you know, maybe John's not the right one for you this morning because I'm having trouble with John myself. Now, I love the gospel, but let me just acknowledge that John's a little bit on the arrogant side. I mean, who would write a gospel and say, I'm the one that Jesus loved? I mean, who would write that? I mean, I would never write that. Peter, he loved more, me more than he loved you. And who would write that down so 2,000 years later, some guy named David stand up and said, Arrogant John. And then who would say, hey, I was faster than Peter, I got there first. But here's my struggle with him. He just believes so easily. Now, I know there are a lot of people, they just, they just believe and they never doubt, they never question. But I struggle with that because that's not been my story. My story has not been easy belief. And, and you know what? You know, when I first became a Christian, it was easy to believe. Nothing had happened to me yet. But now I've been preaching the gospel for 30, 30 years or more, and I've stood at the graveside with people who have absolutely had their life destroyed by illness and death and suffering, and who have wondered, how am I going to get through this? I have sat with families who've had family members end their lives in suicide. I have sat with family members who have had children get incurable illnesses and die of leukemia and cancer. I've been with families who have lost babies. It's hard to understand. And then for my own self, you know, I wrestle with what's in the Bible too, just like you do. You know, how did that happen? And the words of Jesus, they're so challenging. I mean, how can I do that? There's a big gap between who I am and who I want to be. You know, I'm not always the husband I want to be or should be. I'm not always the dad that I want to be or should be. Sometimes I worry because I stand up here and preach the word of God to you and, and speak in elevated terms, but my son and my wife see who I really am when I'm at home. They know me. And so I struggle. So when I stand up, I want to tell you, when I stand up and I say that Jesus lives and that I believe in him and that I have the capacity to continue to love in spite of all the things that have happened in the world, I want to tell you, I don't just stand up here as some happy, do-gooding preacher who's just offering you a cliche who has never experienced life. I stand here as the man proclaiming that Jesus has lived, who's buried his own father, who's had cancer, who's had a daughter go through a divorce and who has struggled and suffered and sometimes find it hard to believe. So when I stand up here and say, Jesus, believe, 
I believe in Jesus, I say it from that point of view in that place, a hard-wrought faith. Not from John, but from Peter's point of view. I want you to think about Peter for a minute. This is the one I connect with. Peter said, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Peter was the first to confess Jesus, but then when the pressure was on, he was the first to fold and run. And I got to tell you, I like Judas a lot more than I like Peter because at least Judas had the courage to look Jesus in the face and betray him, but not Peter. Peter had to hide. You see, the reason I like Judas, because I'm not a person that's going to look someone in the face and do it to him that way. I'm more like Peter. I'm more a stab you in the back kind of person. I'm just being honest. So Peter shows up. You want to know why Peter didn't get there first? It's hard to run when you're running on guilty feet. Hard to run when you're carrying shame. And you know what happens to him? Even after he sees the resurrected Jesus, he still he believes that Jesus is alive, but he doesn't think Jesus could live, love him again. I mean, he gave up on himself. He goes back to fishing. And then there's Mary. You know Mary? Mary's a different story. Mary's not overcome with guilt. Mary's overcome with loss because Mary, Mary found real love for the first time in her life. She had never been loved. She didn't grow up in the home that you grew up in. And she did not feel love in her life. Now, she wasn't a prostitute. That's just a mistake in church history that goes on and on and on. She was really a woman who was possessed by a spirit of seven demons, the Bible says. Uh, she was mentally ill. She was not a whole person. And there's a lot of paintings of her that paint Mary as this kind of beautiful seductress. And the whole Dan Brown thing about her being, a, you know, being married to Jesus, it's not true. It's not true. You see, Mary, Mary was a mentally diseased person. Donatello painted, made this a wood carving of her, and I love it because it shows her what sometimes the mentally ill feel on the inside torn and twisted. She was emaciated. And what I love is you look at her and you see what's on the outside. But Jesus looked at her and could see what's on the inside. You don't feel love, you feel hurt, you feel wounded, you feel scarred, you feel like her, you feel like a shadow of who you want to be. Maybe you're not mentally ill or struggle with mental illness. Maybe you do. But it's hard to feel love. But Jesus saw love in her and loved her. And so you know what she's feeling that day? In the, you know why she's in the dark? You know why she's crying? We know why she's crying. Because when you've had love taken from you and the only person that ever loved you and saw you for who you are, it's just, how can you ever love again? How can you ever, ever love again? But here's the thing I want to say to you this morning. You know, I, I know that many of you suffer from the four D's, the D's of discouragement, disappointment, disillusionment, and despair, which is the loss of hope. But what I want to know is that even though you feel like I can't love again and I, and I don't know where to look for him, you don't have to look for him because he's going to find you. He's looking for you now. 
His love and grace is so infinite. God's love and grace is so infinite. He didn't just come to die for the world. He came to die for you and to say your name. I mean, he's looking for you this morning. Let me say this to you. I don't want to hurry you along in your grief. You know, the worst thing the church can do is, is we just come in and we say Jesus is alive and you don't feel alive and you walk in and you feel like, you know, in a 10-minute sermon, you got to walk out feeling good and healthy and you wonder what's wrong with you. It's not realistic. I want you to point out to you that the psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't run. He walked. And sometimes you just got to sit in that place of hurt for a long time. Sometimes you just need to have the permission to say, I can't find myself. I can't heal myself. And I want to tell you, here at Middletown Christian Church, we want to embrace you where you are. And if you just need to come for a while and sit here and just hurt for a while, you don't have to pretend, just come and hurt for a while. But with the good news I want to share with you is that over time, what will happen? I don't know when it will happen, but one day, you'll, one day you'll be sitting here or one day you'll be in some quiet place and one day you'll look up and you go, my God, it's not the gardener. My God, it's my God. One day you'll realize that he's come to you. You didn't see him. You didn't notice him because you've been so covered over with doubt and fear and loss. You didn't notice. But one day you'll hear your name and you'll go, my God, it's my God. And you realize he's not the gardener. And one day you'll hear your name called. And the promise is, if you'll return to love, if you can just let yourself return to love and trust, if, you just, if you'll just trust enough in your despair this morning to let him find you, if you'll just trust, you know what will happen? That heart that's been broken will be stronger than it's ever been before. The beautiful thing about a heart that's been broken is that when he rebuilds it, it has greater vision, greater wisdom, greater capacity. There is no love like the love born in hell. And you know how great that love is? That love that will find you? I fully believe I fully believe with every ounce of who I am as a human being that if Judas Iscariot had waited for three days for Jesus to come back, he would have forgiven him too. And he would have been the most powerful apostle to ever walk the face of the earth, the one that betrayed him and led him to his death, forgiven. I believe he's with him today. The love is big enough to overcome even the most cruel betrayals. Because God can forgive anyone. Because the Apostle Paul said this, that there is nothing on this earth, there is nothing in this life, there is nothing that you can do to yourself and nothing that can be done to you that can ever separate you from the love of God in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Our world needs this. 
I wake up in the morning and I see in the headlines fear and horror and death and suffering. But I wake up in the morning knowing that there's hope. Because every morning I wake up and I reach out to him because he endured everything this life has to offer. The worst horror and the worst terror. And yet he still returned to love. Maybe I'm just naive. But when a people find that love and the, have the capacity to return to a world filled with horror and suffering to love, everything becomes new.